Oh, and if guys, if, you, if, they're like, if there's some room, uh, if you're kind of on the edges, if you would scoot in a little bit, we kind of keep having people filter in. So if you, would, if you wouldn't mind doing that, just make some space for people who may come in a little bit later, that'd be awesome. Uh, okay, well, this is, uh, this is the part of the sermon, or this is the part of the sermon, the part of the service uh, where we open up God's word and we're gonna talk about what it says. And like I said earlier, uh, that this is one of the ways that we connect with God. Uh, and also connect with ourselves. So uh, excited to do that this morning together. And where we're gonna land is here at the communion table. That's what we, when we talk about the communion table, we're talking about these kneelers up here. And don't worry, if you haven't done communion with us before, there'll be plenty of instructions that hopefully make that very clear for you uh, as we get closer. So is, I feel like I'm kind of in the dark up here. Do I, is it dark? Yes. Yeah. If, can we, are there, is there a way to turn these lights on? Someone, Tyler, in the back, maybe? Okay, I'm gonna get started anyway, but just wanted to, if they come on while I'm talking, don't be alarmed. Uh, so guys, this January, uh, we are gonna be talking about generosity and what it looks like for us to be a generous community. And if you've been a part of the church for a while, maybe when you hear that, you kind of like immediately cringe because you think, oh no, that is a code word for money, right? We're gonna be talking about money. And to some extent, yes, we will talk about money, but we're also gonna talk about our time. We're gonna talk about our talents, like the gifts, uh, the resources that God has given us, that is the opposite of on, okay, in, uh, in every way. And we're also gonna be talking about how we steward this place, this community that we are a part of here together. Because what's true is that we, we all wanna be part of a generous community, don't we? Oh, that's better, okay, great, thank you. Uh, we all wanna be part of a generous community. And when, I, when you think of what a generous community looks like, how many of you were here in 2010 when Nashville flooded? Okay, not even half the room, so, right? This is reflective of Nashville. Uh, it was like a really rough time. Opryland was legitimately underwater and was shut down. Like, it, all of Nashville, uh, it was this amazing moment of watching our city and our community come together with open hands and open hearts. It was a time that I was really proud to be here and be a part of this. But we don't even have to reach back to 2010 for that. We can think about 2020 and the tornado that hit East Nashville. And how many of you were here in 2020? Okay, so more of you, right? Maybe remember that. Uh, I remember being on Holly Street the day after and seeing people out with chainsaws, cutting down trees, people giving out water, people helping people clean out their homes. I, I can see people in here that we got to do that with. Uh, and to serve as a part of that. And I thought, ah, oh, I'm so proud to be a part of this community that is coming together to care for people who have been affected by this horrible natural disaster. And I'm sure the same thing is happening up in Hendersonville, even though I didn't get to see it kind of in that same way uh, I witnessed it in East. Like that we all wanna be part of a community that has open hands, that has open hearts. And let's be honest, we all wanna have friends who are generous, right? Like do you have friends that are like that, who are generous with you? They're the best kind of friends. Uh, like in the last week or two, we had some friends text us and say, hey, we would love to take you uh, to Florida. Do you want to come with us? I'm like, oh, we can't come, but we would love to go with you guys. Like, we're so sad. And they said, oh, no, we didn't mean like come with us. We meant like we would send, like you could just go by yourselves. And what do you think my first thought was? Well, <laughs> yes. My first thought was, dang it, I already said no. Right? <laughs> Because I can't be the person who says no, and then it's like, oh, you're not coming? Well, now I do want to go, right? <laughs> but then I thought, okay, but here's the thing. These are actually the kind of friends that we could do that with. 
that these are the kind of people that are so generous with their hearts that us saying, oh, that actually sounds really good, yes, that they would not be offended by it at all. Like, we want friends like that, that have that kind of freedom, open hands and open hearts with us. By the way, we're not going to Florida, but okay, just in case you're wondering. We want that kind of generosity in our lives. And yet, how many of you in your New Year's resolutions, if you're that kind of a person, your resolution was to become more generous this year? Yeah, nobody. Because generosity is really hard, right? It costs something. It can, it can be really painful. And I'll just tell you, y'all, we're going to have a lot of opportunities as a community to be generous this year. That's true financially, and there'll be opportunities that we bring you like we did with Young Life, opportunities to give not only to Midtown, but to other uh, organizations in our community. There are also going to be plenty of opportunities to serve, both here within Midtown and outside of Midtown. Plenty of opportunities to do stuff like that. But also, will you just look around at the faces around you? I can see you, so just, you can do it. Just look around, okay. Um, Do you see people here who weren't here last year? Like people who are new? Yeah, maybe that's you. We're so glad you're here, okay? Guys, uh, if you've been here for a while, I just want to remind you, we prayed for this, that this would be a thriving community of worship and witness in and for this part of the city. And we're seeing God do that, which means we get to steward and share this community with new people. It means inviting people into our small groups, into our homes, into our lives, and into our hearts. And yes, there's a cost there, but we also know it's so good. And if you are new and you're wondering, do I want to be a part of this? I just want to invite you like, yes, there's plenty of love and plenty of connection to be shared here with you. And if you make this place your home, you will have plenty of opportunities over the course of this year to invite other people here into your lives and to be generous with them too. We've got to recognize there's this this kind of conundrum that we're stuck in, this trap of we all want generosity, we want to be part of a generous community, and yet uh, none of us like, want to be generous. And reconciling those two things, becoming generous people, it takes more than a tweak or like a change in a habit or uh, increasing the amount that we give of our time or our money or whatever by like a certain amount, as if generosity is this habit that we can churn up in ourselves. What we are talking about is a total transformation of who we are as people, of hearts that have been opened up to the world around us. That's what we're talking about. And that kind of heart change, man, it is something that we cannot just engineer on our own. It's something that has to happen in some ways to us. And so this morning, the text that we're going to be in, the text we're going to be reading out of is Luke 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. Because what this story does is it totally reorients everything about the way we think about what it means to be in relationship with God. And it teaches us that before we can be people who love other people, we have to be people who are aggressive in receiving from God. That before we can be a community that loves its community, we have to be a community of takers who are taking God's grace into our lives in a a ravenous way. That's what Luke 15 is all about. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is what it looks like for us to be aggressive receivers of God's grace in our own lives and to let that totally reorient the economy of our lives from an economy of owing and earning to an economy of giving and receiving. 
That's what the gospel does. That's what we see in the story, is that God reorients our lives from an economy of owing and earning to an economy of giving and receiving. So I'm gonna invite Julie Gilpin to come up. Uh, Julie is gonna read for us out of Luke 15, this parable of the prodigal son. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Luke in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, It's a story told by Jesus. So if you have a Bible with red letters, it'll be in red letters. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can grab one on the back table. It will also be up here on the screen behind us. You can follow along up there. Okay, this is Luke 11, or Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and, have, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found." This is the word of the Lord. Before we pray, I just want to point out uh, how relevant that story is for our day-to-day lives. Like, you don't have to have a Bible degree to read that and to think, I can see myself in that story, right? Guys, that is why every Sunday when you're here, uh, we're going to open up God's word and that this is the thing that we're preaching out of. Because uh, it's true. And because it's true, it means that it connects to where we are now. That this story was spoken 20 centuries ago, and we're still talking about it. 
because it's true and because it touches our own hearts. So that's why this morning and every morning when you're here, uh, we're, gonna be, we're gonna be coming to God's word to ask God, what do you have for us? So I'm gonna pray and ask that God would be revealing himself to us through the story like he has been doing for his people for centuries. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful for your desire uh, to reveal yourself to your people. We pray, God, that as we uh, spend just a few minutes uh, this morning in your word, uh, that you'd be moving in our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you'd be changing us, that you would be uh, drawing us deeper into this economy, Lord, of giving and receiving, your economy and way of thinking about life. And we pray these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story is often called the story of the prodigal son as if the story is about one son in particular. Uh, but at the beginning of this parable, Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. This parable is not predominantly about one son, the son that goes away and comes back. This story is a story about two sons. And in a really specific way, it's probably even more focused on the second son, on the older brother. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend some time this morning unpacking each of those sons kind of their relationship with the father, the father's relationship toward them. Uh, and then we're gonna end by talking about the third son that we see in this story. That's kind of implied in the structure of this story. So if you're a note taker, the points aren't very exciting. It's just son one, son two, son three. So that's how we're gonna work through uh, our passage this morning. And I also, I just have to acknowledge you guys right up front. In preparation for the sermon this week, I, was, I read uh, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. So if you haven't read it, I would recommend it. And if you do read it, you may realize that a lot of this sermon comes from that book. So just want you to know that <laughs> uh, and give props to, to Tim. So anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about this first son. Uh, we get a description of him, really, a kind of a sense of who he is as a person in verse 12 of this passage. It says, the younger of them, the younger of the sons, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. That what was traditional in this time is that a father, when he died, would leave his inheritance to his sons. And the oldest son would get a larger proportion of that property, like two-thirds of the property, and the younger son would get one-third. It was a way of kind of preserving wealth in families. And what this younger son is doing is he's coming to his dad and he's saying, I know that you're still alive, but I want my share of the inheritance now. He's saying to his dad, uh, you owe it to me but I don't want to wait until you're dead to have it. I want it now. And that begins right away to tell us about the heart of this son, right? It tells us about the way that he thinks about the world and thinks about relationships, that his primary orientation toward his father is an orientation of, of, uh, of duty, right? Of owing and of obligation of earning. His relationship with his dad is totally transactional. He comes to his dad and he says, you owe me, give it to me now. Which is an incredibly bold request, right? And very insulting. Uh, and it's, it's, like saying to, it's like he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Which may not be shocking. <laughs> kids say all kinds of things to their parents. Uh, but in this world, it was shocking to tell your dad that you wish he was dead. And even for us, when we really understand what's happening in this story, it shocks us too. Can you imagine 
going to your parents and saying, um, I would like the share of your property that I will get when you die, but I would like it now. So please refinance your house, take out some of the equity, and give it to me. Right? But when you refinance, like, let's just add up everything that you're eventually going to pass on, and let's refinance the house and take out that whole chunk out of the house and give it to me now. Would any of you do that? No! Right? No, none of you are nodding, but I think the answer is no, right? You're like, I might like to have the money, yes, but like, I would not be bold enough to do that. I would not be rude enough to do that. Like, that's an incredibly shocking thing to say to a father. But what is even more shocking than the son's request is the fact that the father does it, right? He says, okay. And y'all, that is not the point of this sermon, but man, we could spend a lot of time on that. That the father is willing to take his property, this place that holds all of his wealth, the security of his family, his honor and place in their village, and he's willing to say, I'm gonna give that up, I'm gonna give up my honor so that you can take it and that you can do with it whatever you want. Though even in the beginning, we start to see the generosity of the father who, spoiler alert, represents God in this passage, okay? The generosity of this heavenly father at work. So the son, it, it says that not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. It's a couple days later because it takes some time for the father to liquidate his assets to give his son the cash. And as soon as the son gets the cash, he says, thank you very much. He buys a one-way ticket to Vegas and he leaves. Again, it shows us he has no interest in being in relationship with the father, that their relationship is entirely transactional. He took a journey into a far country And one of the things that is just masterful about Jesus as like a parable teller is that he squeezes into a few words what we spend like countless movies spinning out. We spend our whole lives telling this story of what it means to be someone who has grown up in a home and under the confines and kind of structures and feeling kind of overburdened by, the, by the, uh, the expectations upon us and then leaving that and running away to find freedom and self-expression. Freedom in our self-expression, right? To discover who we truly are as individuals. We spend our whole lives telling the story that Jesus tells in like six words. Because that is one of the predominant ways in our culture. It is still one of the two main ways in culture that we relate to God. Is that God is this overbearing father with really intense limits for our lives that, uh, that are a drag on society, and a drag on us as individuals. And that what we need to find freedom in our lives is to get out from under that and go somewhere else. That we take the gifts that God has given us, whether or not we acknowledge that he exists, that we take the gifts that he's given us, the breath in our lungs, the bodies that he's made, the resources, the talents, the gifts, and that we say to him, no, thank you. I will take this and I will now do with it what I want outside of a relationship with you. And maybe we kind of create an image of God that allows us to feel good about him as if we were in relationship with him, but really we're not interested in God's authority at all. We're interested in taking his resources and finding the joy that we desperately want outside of a relationship with him. Do you guys connect with that at all? 
Yes, because that's just a story of what it means to be a person, of course. He gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. again in just these few short verses, what Jesus is capturing for us is the dehumanizing effects of taking all the things that God has given us and running away from him and trying to find joy apart from a relationship with him. What, what Jesus is capturing for us is the dehumanizing effects of relating to God out of what we believe that God owes us. And it doesn't always look like uh, eating food that pigs are eating. Like it doesn't always look like that kind of material devastation in our lives. But the poverty of spirit that this man is experiencing is what we will always find at the end of that road of a a relationship with God that is all about what God owes us. It's what we'll find at the end of the road when we insist on taking the things that God has given us and going and living outside of relationship with him to find life. Because all of the friends that this guy had around him when he was ordering them all bottle service in the club in Vegas, when he needs them, they're all gone. And he's alone and empty. And again, the, the, the younger son in us, it doesn't always look like uh, blowing uh, our money in reckless living. Sometimes it does. Maybe that's you. Sometimes there's a really kind of respectable a sheen put over it. But there are plenty of ways of running away from God and finding our life outside of relationship with him that express themselves just like the younger son and lead to just uh, the same kind of emptiness. Guys, and, and this is where the story gets even crazier. Is the guy comes to his senses and he decides, okay, he practices his speech, like we all do, of what, we're gonna say, what he's going to say to God, what he's going to say to the people he's offended to be able to earn his way back into the household. Or at least, if not back into the household, at least earn his way back into food. And so you can tell he's, he's walking back to where he came from and he's practicing this speech over and over again of what he's going to say to his father. And he, and he doesn't even get home that his dad runs out to meet him, which means his dad has been waiting and watching for him, hoping for the day that he comes home. And this is right, this is the ancient ancient Near East. This guy isn't wearing his Lululemon running shorts. He's like an old man in robes that he's like holding up and he's running out to meet his son. And all the people in the village can see him doing it and they're all thinking that he looks like an idiot. But he doesn't care because he is so eager to see his son who has finally come home. And the son, the son starts giving him the speech. Okay, father, I've sinned before God, before you. I'm no longer, and the, the dad doesn't even hear it. 
He's already yelling at his servants, come on, he's home. Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals. And when he puts that robe on him, what he's putting on him is his robe. He's saying, you already belong. Before you can even apologize to me and get out all of your promises for how you were gonna do better, you belong. That's how generous the love of this father is. And it, and it just keeps going. That he brings him home and he says, we're gonna throw a party for you. And all of these people who have all of these judgments about who you are and all of these ideas about how I should treat you because of what you've done to me and how you've embarrassed me and shamed me, I'm gonna invite all of them to a party that I'm gonna throw for you because I want them all to see that you have been reinstated as a part of this family. And we are gonna celebrate the heck out of this thing. We're gonna dance, we're gonna drink, we're gonna eat in fat, a fattened calf and we're gonna have an awesome time because of his joy of reclaiming his son. I said, I don't know if you were ever like this, but if, when you are a younger son, if you are the younger son, you come home and you finally are restored to your senses, you're coming back into the household, God puts his robe around you, you're walking through the town, you feel like you kind of have to walk with your head down like Charlie Brown style and drag your feet. Like you just want everyone to know, including God, that don't worry, I just want you to know how sorry I am. It's like I'm not, I'm not getting too excited about it, right? Or you sit in the party and everyone's eating this amazing food, but you're over in the corner with your lunch pail of the pig pods that you brought and you're eating it just to prove to everybody else how sorry you feel for what happened. Guys, that is not what God is asking for from us. That's an insult to the love of the Father to believe in the first place that we could earn our way back into his favor by telling him that we'll work for him. No, what you need, what we, what we have to have is a love that covers all of that. And when we come into it, he's not asking us to drag our feet and beat ourselves up with shame to prove how sorry we are. He's saying, come on in, join the party. The best way to honor the love of the Father is to start dancing. Right? So he's saying, come on and dance. That's the way that we're called to honor the love that the Father has poured upon us. And friends, if you were here this morning and you think, man, if the people here knew what I have done, I don't belong here. Maybe just getting here this morning felt like, uh, felt like that. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm never coming back because I don't belong. Let me just tell you, there is nothing that you can do that places you outside of the, the grace and the love of Jesus for you. There is no sin that is greater than the God the Father's ability and desire to cover that sin with his love and his grace for you. None. The call is that we would come and receive it, with, with, that we would come and we would eat at the table, that we'd participate in the feast, that we would dance in the party with everything that we have. Come on. Oh, and friends, the older brother, God, can I just tell you, when I read him, um, I'm, it makes me so sad because I see him in me. And I know it. Oh, it wrecked me this week. The older brother was out in the field and he came and he drew near the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of his servants and he asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. He's saying, your dad is so pumped because he's made his brother part of the family again. And the older brother, he was angry and he refused to go in. And the story ends with the older brother sitting outside the party. 
And the question that Jesus leaves, leaves hanging is, will he go in? And there's this picture of this, of this man standing outside of a house in the dark while light is streaming out of the windows where he can hear the music playing, he can smell the food, and he is so consumed with anger, he will not step foot inside the room. Oh, it's so sad. But what the picture shows us is that this older brother's heart is just as lost as the younger brother's heart was. Because look at what he says to the father when the father comes out to beg him to come in. He says, first off, he starts with the word look, which I will just tell you, if one of my kids looked at me and said, look, like we already have a problem, right? <laughs> look, these many years I have served you, some, some people translate it as I've slaved away. I've slaved away and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. What he's showing about his heart is this entire time he has, been, he has been following all of the rules, not out of love for the father, but out of his desire to control the father and to get what he wants from the father. You see that? He does not have a relationship with the father that is about love or trust or care at all. His relationship with the father in his own heart is just as transactional. It's all about what he can earn from the father. The father is not treating him as a servant, but in his mind, he is serving the father as if he doesn't belong to the household. That's all in him. Guys, this, this is scandalous that Jesus would say this. The setting for this story, Luke uh, 15, one through two kind of tells us what's going on that moves Jesus to tell these parables in the first place. It says, now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near him. That's all the younger sons. Because younger sons were drawn to Jesus. They realized, oh, I am not too far gone for the love of God. Yes, I want to be a part of it. Bring it on. So they're all, they're all gathering around Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes who were the very religious people who had all the checklists and said, yes, 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 yes. Guys, these people, they, when they tithed, right? When they gave 10% of their money, they didn't just do it for their money, they did it for their spices. Can you imagine? Like you go to Aldi or wherever you go to buy your spices and you dump them out and you like 10% over here, 90%, like all of it. That's how exacting they were about checking off God's righteousness in their lives. And they knew that they messed up and when they messed up, they went to the temple, they did the sacrifice thing, they got back on track, great. And what Jesus is saying to them, he's saying, you're missing it. That in your confidence that by checking off this list, you can control God, you can earn from God, he's saying to them, you are just as lost as the younger brothers that you were looking down on. And he's not doing it in judgment, he's doing it in care. He's trying to wake them up to draw them in. That's why this story ends the way it does is he is inviting them into the party. I've got to be honest, guys. Church is a great place for older brothers to hide, isn't it? Church is a great place for all the older brothers to get together and congratulate each other on their older brotherness. To say to each other, hey, you believe all of the right things just like me. Way to go. And to look back at the other person and say, you're right. And you act just right, just like me. I'm so glad that we are better than everybody else. Church can be like that, can't it? No wonder the younger brothers don't want to come to church. Maybe this older brother, maybe it's you. You know how you would know? 
Like how often do you get really angry? And like maybe you don't scream and yell and throw things. Maybe you do. But maybe you don't because you're an older brother and you would never do that. But the anger that you have to work so hard to push down, especially when life isn't going your way because dang it, you earned it? Come on, guys, that's textbook older brother. Or maybe when you get confronted about sin in your life, it absolutely devastates you. And you are unable to function. Because you cannot possibly believe that what it shows is that you have a hard time believing that I have a hard time, that we have a hard time believing that we are actually sinners. Like to be confronted with our sin like rocks us because I did not believe that I was a sinner in the first place. Or when you get stuck on something that you believe that you've done wrong and you just play it over and over and over and over again and even though everyone tells you you are blowing this way out of proportion, you can't, you can't accept that because you can't believe that you would actually do something wrong that needed forgiveness. Guys, that's older brother stuff. And I'm telling you, I can talk about it because I know it. Oh, and the judgment that older brothers can pour on the people around them. And let's be real, no one walks in a room and says, I'm really struggling with the sin of judgment this week. No one says that in small group, right? When I leave here, I'm gonna talk about all of you and the things that you said. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna remind myself how much better I am than you. No one says that, but it's true. That lives in all of us. And if you are not married, I'm sure there are roommates you do it with. If you're married, your, per, your spouse is the perfect person to go and judge everyone with because it doesn't count if it's your spouse. It still counts, guys. What it, what it shows us is the judgment that we have in our hearts that we pour out on everybody else. Oh, are any of you older brothers? You don't have to raise your hand. Just, yes, we are in this room too. And guys, the father is just as generous with the older son. When he says to him, look, what that son deserves in the culture of the time, okay, this is not appropriate, was a slap on the face like physical violence and a disinheritance because of the absolute disregard he had for his father's choice to do with his property what he wanted to do. But the father doesn't hit him. He doesn't disinherit him. He says, come on into the party. I want you to be here just as much as I want the younger son to be here. Come on in. And guys, you know when the older son comes into the party, it's going to take him a while to learn how to dance because he's not much of a dancer, right? But he can learn. There's hope. And the father, right, he's drawn the older brother in. Come on in, come in, come in. Come and receive. Which leads us to the third brother in this passage. And I'm just, again, shout out to Tim Keller because this, this is very helpful from, from the book. Uh, that this parable is third in a, in a line of three parables. The first is the story of the, um, the lost sheep the shepherd who, goes and search, who leaves the 99 to go find the one, Luke 15, or the woman who has 10 coins but loses one of them and goes and finds the coin and when she brings the coin back, throws a party for her neighbors because she's so excited she found the coin, which I have so many questions about. Like, do you spend the amount that you found on the coin to throw the party? How does that make sense? But anyway, right, like these parables are all about there being someone who goes out and finds the lost thing and then, and then brings them back. But in this story, there's no one who goes and finds the lost son to bring him back. The lost son comes back on his own, which makes us wonder as we read the story, is there someone who would come and find us when we're that lost? Because there are times when we are eating at the pig trough and we don't even know. 
There are times when we are outside the party and we are so convinced of our rightness that we can't come in and there's no one and nothing that can break us out of how convinced we are that we are righteous. Is there anybody to come for us? What's the answer? Yes, and who is it? Come on, right? It's Jesus. He is the true and better older brother who left home to come and find all of the younger brothers and all of the older brothers who are so far from home. At great cost to himself. There's this, there's this book by a guy, T.H. White, called The Once and Future King. That's about the story of King Arthur. And in that story, King Arthur, when he's a little boy, to like learn more about the world, he gets transformed into animals, like ants and a goose. And he like learns about the world by becoming these creatures. Whenever I've read that, I've thought, that's the incarnation. That Jesus humbled himself by giving up what it meant to, to be part of the, well, he didn't give up his God nature, just for the record. But he, he became in the, in the form of man, right? There's a humbling that comes there. That at his conception in the womb of Mary, his humility started as he took on all of the indignities that it means to be a person. But he didn't do it to like learn good lessons so he could go back and be a better king. He did it because of his love for the creatures that he was coming, whose world he was coming into. To come and be with them, to connect with them, to honor and save them right in the places that they are, to tell them that the world that he had created was so good and even though we have messed it up so much, he loves us and wants to bring the world back to the way it should be. That he would leave his heavenly home and humble himself to come here to, to do that. And you think about what he endured while he was on this earth. First of all, just the hardness of what it means to be a human, which y'all, it's hard, isn't it? Just like you, he celebrated holidays and he was with his family and sometimes it was hard. And he came back and he thought, all these people around me, they got a lot of expectations for what this holiday is supposed to mean and it didn't quite measure up and that's really hard. Like he knew, he was well acquainted with all of what it means to be a human. On top of that, he was despised and rejected all the time. Like, yes, there were sinners who came and sat at his feet, but there were plenty of people, the very people he came to rescue, the very kind of people he came to rescue, who still didn't want anything to do with him. Not to mention all the older brothers who would heap all that scorn and shame on him. And do you realize the very people that he is telling this parable to, that he is inviting into the feast, they're the people who are going to put him on a cross. Same people. But even for them, his love is so great that he would come and rescue them. At great cost to himself. Not of a property that's getting diminished because it's being shared out among us. That's not the case for Jesus at all. But the cost that he paid was his very self, his life. And that he did it joyfully. He poured it out joyfully because of how much he loves you, his people. That even when we were enemies of God, even when our hearts were hard, even when we were far away in a far country, we're not interested in coming home, even when our older brother hearts were so far away and were committed to earning from God and checking off lists with God and being so religious with God, in all of those places, Jesus has come for us, his enemies. Because of his great love for us. And his love for us is reflective of the Father's love for us. It's the same love. the love that then he would plant in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That is pouring God's love into our hearts all the time. 
And guys, that is a love that precedes repentance. What I mean by that is that it's not that we come to God and say, God, I'm so sorry, I've messed up so much, and now, uh, and now you love me. No, it is God's love for us that moves our heart toward repentance in the first place. And that is the joy and the freedom of the gospel. That's what we are about to celebrate here at this communion table. Which means that this table, first, it's a place of repentance and a place that's, that's somber for us because it's the place that we come before God and we lay out, God, I am a younger son. God, I am an older son. Let me tell you about it. I'm sorry. Where we confess not only our bad deeds but also all of our good deeds that we've done for all the wrong reasons. This is the place that we lay out all of our for me, for you's. All of the time that I've done something for you but really I'm doing something for me by doing it for you. This is the place that we come and confess all of it. And there's, there's a somberness there, a heaviness there, because we, we are interacting with and acknowledging the cost of Jesus paying for our sin and covering it for us. But it was not cheap. It was incredibly costly. But this table is also a place of, um, of great rejoicing, that we celebrate the fact that Jesus has come for us. And that's why, like, in the songs that we do for this, there's kind of like a rise, you know? Because it's worth celebrating. And then at the end of the service, that's what we'll be doing is praising God together. So I just want to encourage you, as you come to the table, you can come and bring all of the heaviness that is sitting on you and bring it all to Jesus. And when you leave and go back to your seat, feel free to leave the heaviness up here and to go back to your seat rejoicing. And I don't know what rejoicing looks like for you. Maybe it does look like being like very still and contemplative and like doing the thing, right? Or maybe it looks like like being a little bit louder, you know? There are one or two people in here that raise their hands. I just want to tell you, that's okay. You don't have to do it, but it's welcome. We have one or two ameners in here. I'll just tell you, I love it, friends. So you bring it on, you know? I, you don't have to. No one's going to prescribe for you what it has to look like to celebrate. I just want to encourage you in the freedom of celebrating. Because this is a table where we, this is a place that we party. We do the party here. Which is why, by the way, we do it together. Because the party is like, it's a communal thing. So come on. Okay, so now we're gonna get into the nuts and bolts of how we do this. Come on. That uh, if you were here and you were saying to Jesus, oh, you can only have part of my life though. Like yes, I'm, all, I'm very happy to receive your love for me, but there's actually this part of my life where I, I really don't want your limits to have anything to do with me or I have this anger at being a, a, with, that comes with being an older son and you actually can't touch it because of how convinced I am that I'm right. Um, you can come to the table, but just ask for prayer. Don't take the elements, because Paul calls that eating and drinking judgment on yourself if you're saying to Jesus, there's this part of me that you can't have. And if you're here and this whole Jesus thing is like, you're here and you're exploring it, you're curious about it, yes, come on up. And when you come up, cross your arms and ask for prayer. Right? It's a great way to invite someone else into that story. Or if that is uncomfortable, stay where you are and pray there, think there, meditate, listen to the songs, sing along. And if you are acknowledging this morning, I am in desperate need of Jesus to come and find me. I'm so glad that Jesus has come and found me and I, I even need him to come and rescue me from things this morning. Yes, come on. You can ask for prayer too, okay? That's what we do when we ask for prayer, at least up here. And then when you're ready for the elements, just put out your hands and the people who are serving will serve you. And you can take your time up here. This is not fast food. Uh, the band can, uh, they can figure out another song to play if they need to, so... Enjoy it. Um, let this be a place that you connect with God 
and with yourself. Uh, you can also go at, and take a prayer and leave a prayer at our like, prayer board back there. If you, it's another way to invite people uh, into the story with you either before, uh, before or after. Okay. So our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But that's what we're doing here this morning at the table. So let me pray for us. And the servers will come up. Uh, you can come when you're ready. You can line up here in the middle, go out along the sides. Jesus, thank you. Oh, God, uh, we're all of us, Lord, apart from you, coming to find us so lost. Lord, whether it's as a younger brother or as an older brother, and Jesus, so often a mix of the two uh, that makes its way out in our lives. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you've come to find your people. We pray that even this morning you would be finding people, maybe even for the first time. Uh, and Lord, for those of us you've already found that you would find us again this morning, that you would draw us here to the table as a place to repent, but also, Lord, as a place to celebrate what you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, when you are in Christ, you are free. And your relationship with the Father has been changed. You no longer have to relate to him out of what you, are, what you think he owes you or what you think you have earned from him. And guys, if you, if you have walked with Jesus any amount of time, you know that you are always being pulled back into those old ways of thinking, right? Of thinking that God's limits in your life are things that he has put to keep happiness away from you or that you've got to do something, earn something, prove something in order to be loved by God, to get what you want. Friends, you are free of that. You have a father who loves you and could not possibly give more than what he has already given. It's a love that goes with you, that follows you, that chases you down. So as you go out this week with the confidence in that love, man, receive all you can from your heavenly father and from that receiving, uh, give it out. And let me read you this benediction out of Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do you hear it? Don't go back to those old ways of living or those old ways of relating to God. They're gone. So let me read it for you one more time. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. <laughs>